Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 184, recorded Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler. It's more about the journey than the destination. Just one topic on this edition of the Travel Commons Podcast, stealth travel inflation. Coming to you from the Travel Commons studios in Chicago, Illinois. Sorry about getting this episode out late. I pushed it out a couple of weeks for a, a trip down to Louisville for a wedding. So, you know, so I didn't have to say no travel since the last episode again. Kind of tough to do a podcast that's more about the journey than the destination if you're not journeying. Also, I, I had to give my voice some time to recover from something that I picked up down there. I can write a great episode, but if all I do is croak it out and no one can stand to listen, it feels a bit like the podcast version of if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it make a sound? And look, and this one, I got to be honest, my heart just could not get into being snarky and witty about travel as the Russians launched their invasion uh, into Ukraine. But here we are. What, four or five days into that, and um, truly with a heavy heart, with full acknowledgement uh, of everything going on, back to travel. I, uh, so back to it. I, I, I used to get a serious cold at least once a year when traveling nonstop. To, I mean, really to the point that every time I bought something at CVS, at least four feet of that usual six feet of coupons that get spit out with the receipt – you know, at least four feet of those were for cough and cold medications. But after the March 2020 lockdowns, well, I really, that all stopped. Nothing. I didn't get anything. A, a nice side benefit of masks and social distancing. But now, I, I don't know, maybe in a sign that things are creeping back to normal, I, I, I got that old feeling again, a runny nose, a cough. So back to CVS for the usual boxes of 12-hour Sudafed and maximum strength Mucinex. And there at the checkout counter was a uh, stack of Abbott Binax COVID tests. So I throw one of those into the basket because uh, there's a bit of symptom overlap between Omicron and a cold. But 15 minutes after violating each of my nostrils in the CVS parking lot, no second line appeared on the test strip. So no Omicron, I'm just back to my usual cold. The next week, I had a couple of in-person meetings, and since I had one more test in the Abbott box, I decided to ping those nostrils again, just to be safe. And, well, now I know what a positive test looks like. The pink line saying positive showed up immediately, even before the second, you know, that second higher-up control line did. The instructions may say to wait for 15 minutes, but I knew within two. It was Omicron. Not that that much changed other than canceling the in-person meetings that I had. I just kept popping Sudafed and Mucinix and just staying away from people. But back to our drive back, we were lucky with the timing of our drive home on I-65, threading the weather needle between two snowstorms that shut down parts of the interstate north of Indiana. Even with reasonable weather, Waze and Google Maps pointed us toward the exit a couple of times to vector around some accident slowdowns. 
It's kind of funny to see which cars and trucks are using Waze because we're all getting off at the same exit. We're all making the same turns onto seemingly random country roads running through flat, snow-covered farmland. You know, pretty featureless, save for a couple of farmhouses and stands of giant windmills. But having said all that, there were no multi-hour backups that would have forced us to break out the bourbon bottles to stay warm, which I got to tell you, this winter, that marks this down as a successful drive home. So following up, in the last episode, we talked about COVID test anxiety, not being able to start a vacation or come back home from one due to a positive test. With the Omicron wave having crested, some countries, the UK, France, Ireland, but not Italy, are dropping inbound test requirements for travelers who are fully vaccinated, with that caveat that fully vaccinated for these countries includes a booster. Now, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Usually, travel requirements ratchet up. New ones stick and old ones never expire. If you don't have TSA pre-check, you've been walking through security in your stocking feet for over 15 years now. Now, I don't know. Why Why did the tests go away? Well, maybe because there's a real cost that travelers can see, ranging from, you know, over a hundred bucks a person sometimes, as opposed to five minutes of barefooted inconvenience. But as with dropping the initial travel bans, the U.S. is the laggard. Drop inbound test requirements? The U.S. hasn't even relaxed the one-day testing window that it put in place at the beginning of December to try and keep Omicron out of the U.S. And, And we all knew within two weeks that that didn't work. And here we are three months later and still no movement back to the pre-Omicron 72-hour testing window. It's that ratchet again. In the last episode, I mentioned that at the end of December, I'd written up a detailed blog post on how to order and use the Abbott Binax Now testing kit to be able to hit that U.S. one-day testing window without a big hassle. Alan Marco, a Travel Commons contributor, clicked through to the eMed site from the blog post to order a six-pack of tests so he could take a couple of them down with him on his February getaway to the Yucatan. He wanted to bring them down as a backup in case the resort ran out of tests, you know, damn supply chain issues. Now, as it turned out, the resort actually had ample tests, maybe because they were charging 100 bucks a pop. Which, you know, that's a number. Alan instead used his Abbott tests at 25 bucks each, uh, which, you know, if you think about it, leaves a little extra cash for a goodbye margarita or two or three. And speaking of margaritas, you can get one again on Southwest Airlines. They finally blinked. They've restarted their in-flight alcohol service, just giving up on that linkage with the in-flight mask mandate. I mean, no surprise, nobody sees an end in sight for in-flight masking. Indeed, a couple of European airlines execs, a guy from Ryanair, I think he's a CFO from Ryanair, and somebody else from TAP, which is the Portuguese airline, they've all been quoted saying they expect masks to be one of the last things dropped And really, it could be around for years. It's that ratcheting thing again. I'm glad, though, I kept hold of my old drink coupons. Southwest extended the life of the 2020 and the 2021 coupons till the end of this year. 
Thanks, Southwest. In the last episode, I talked about sending my passport into the void that is the U.S. Passport Agency for renewal. Now, my passport didn't expire until April, or doesn't expire until April, but since a lot of countries won't let you in if your passport has less than six months left on it, and with the State Department's warnings about extended processing time, I figured I should renew it sooner rather than later. Now, the passport agency is quoting 8 to 11 weeks. So what is that? Two months, two and a half months of processing time. And here's a little twist. They'll only accept your application via U.S. Postal Service. Now, I don't know about you, but the Chicago branches of the Postal Service haven't exactly been covering themselves in glory over the past couple of months here. So I sent in my application priority mail and then paid the passport agency extra so they'd send it back the same way. Priority Mail did the job getting my application there in a couple of days, and then after that, I was able to track the progress on the Passport Agency's website. Actually, the only glitch with that was that the email update function, where they said they would send you an email each time your application status changes, somehow that functionality is broken. But anyhow, the passport agency processed my renewal and put my passport in a priority mail envelope right at seven weeks. So good on them for coming in under their time quote. But then the Postal Service couldn't quite get it over the line. From the tracking history, my passport appears to have hung out a few days in a Chicago transit facility. I don't know. Maybe it got lost between the seats somewhere uh, before finally making it into my mailbox. The passport's a bit different from, I don't know, say my wife's passport that she renewed a couple of years ago. The page with the picture and all the personal information is no longer that you know, that kind of sealed paper page. Now it's a heavier, thicker piece of plastic. And some of the data, like the passport number and the expiration date, are all raised. It seems that they've made sort of a quantum step up in their non-tampering, forgery-proof technology. But now I'm keeping an eye out for my old passport, which the passport service will send back to me separately, because my old passport has my still valid India visa in it. Now, I don't have any plans to visit India right now, which actually is a good thing since the passport agency is sending my old passport back to me via regular post, which means it should show up here in Chicago, I don't know, in a couple of months. And as I promised in the last episode, I finally finished updating my best restaurant, bars, and tap rooms of 2021 post, adding sections for Chicago and London. Now, I have to tell you, one of the things that didn't make the London section was these Yorkshire pudding wraps and burritos that I saw on menus all over the place. And what it kind of looked like is that they would basically take a whole Sunday roast dinner, roast beef, vegetables, mashed potatoes, gravy, maybe even some horseradish sauce if you wanted it. And then they'd wrap it up in a flatbread that 
looked like it was made out of the same ingredients as a Yorkshire pudding, so eggs, flour, and milk. Honestly, it was like shame-watching a car crash. I mean, I knew I shouldn't, but I ordered one anyways and, and immediately hated myself for it. So any place with this on the menu, immediate disqualification from my list. Also, I unfortunately had to delete a great little corner dumpling place in New York's Chinatown that now has reconcepted itself uh, since last May, which honestly was the reason I started this running list last year. The pandemic closings were happening faster than the guidebooks and blogs could keep up with. Indeed, I went back through the Travel Commons archives and was striking through at least half of my earlier recommendations. So anyhow, I gave the 2021 post a new date of December 31st, 2021, so it'd be easy to find. It's showing up right now on the Travel Commons homepage and at the top of the blog page. I'm also doing a better job of keeping a running list of my 2022 recommendations. In Louisville, a couple weeks back, we ate at a great Cuban restaurant, La Bodaguita de Mimi. I... Sorry, I just butchered that. Anyhow, it was right next door to the AC hotel that we stayed in in Louisville's Nulu District. Apparently, there's a huge Cuban immigrant community in Louisville, which I can tell you was not the case when my parents lived there in the early 80s. And La Bodeguita de Mimi, <laughs> I had to try it one more time, is apparently just the latest of many Cuban places to open. Highly recommended, especially the lechon asado, the roast pork. I'll post, actually, you know what? I'll post a first cut of my 2022 list maybe in April. So after uh, our trip to Brooklyn coming up this weekend and uh, the trip to Santa Fe, New Mexico at the beginning of April. And hey, if you've got any travel stories, comments, questions, tips, restaurant recommendations, the voice of the traveler, send them along to comments, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com. You can always send them to Twitter at MPeacock, post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page or the Instagram account at Travel Commons, or post your comments on the website at travelcommons.com. So the only topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is stealth travel inflation. Now, for those of us of and maybe even past a certain age, the last six months of inflation news is flashing us back to the 70s and early 80s. And I got to tell you, there's certainly no sense of wistful nostalgia coming from it. Maybe not abject terror, but it's certainly not comfortable. The U.S. Travel Association unpicks the U.S. Department of Labor's Consumer Price Index report, the CPI, to publish its own monthly travel price index, a TPI. I started looking through their latest TPI report, which is for January 2022, and among other things, it compares this current travel price index to one year back, January 2021, but also to pre-pandemic January 2019, so before any travel restrictions were in anybody's mind. I mean, tough to remember, but back then, everybody was traveling. And so while the current inflation headlines over the past six months have prepped me for the Current, this January 2022 travel price index being 14.5% over last year's, 
I was, I have to tell you, I was really surprised when I saw that the 2022, this January 2022 index, that the current prices are are still 11.6% higher than January 2019. I don't know why I was surprised. I guess I anchored a bit too much on those rock bottom airfares and hotel rates and gas prices in the spring and summer of 2020 when no one was traveling. But then digging through the detailed line items, it turns out I I wasn't entirely wrong. The airline fares component of the TPI is still 15% below 2019's, and the hotels are only up 6.5% over three years. So that's still not a lot. I couldn't figure out which line had car rental prices, but I mean, it's no secret that those blew up when you actually could find a car. But the biggest jumps that were there on, on their uh, on the report over 2019 are in food and beverage, which is up 13%, and motor fuel, no surprise, up 44%. But here's where I think we get into the stealth components. Let's start with the hotels. There are cuts in service where we're getting less for the same price, what economists are now calling shrinkflation. That's like a little bit of throwback to the 70s. We had stagflation. Now here we are in the 2020s. We've got shrinkflation. And I don't think that that shrinkflation factor is reflected in that 6.5% inflation number over three years. The most common of this shrinkflation are really pandemic service cuts that have never gone away. I mean, in 2020, when we were still figuring out how COVID was spreading, how long the surfaces could stay infectious. I mean, remember people leaving their groceries outside for three days? It made sense to stop daily room housekeeping. The first post-lockdown trip I made, I stayed in a Hampton Inn and never saw anybody. The Hilton app let me remotely check in and gave me a digital key. No one serviced my room during the stay, and there was no free breakfast. And I, I was fine with that. It made perfect sense given how much we didn't know about COVID in May of 2020. But now, here we are, almost two years and three vaccination shots later. The AC Hotel in Louisville has a sign taped to the desk in our room saying housekeeping was limited to every third day because of COVID. No, no, it's not because of COVID anymore. It's to improve profit margins. Comparing this to our stays in similarly priced hotels in Italy and the UK last fall, we're service was pretty much back to pre-pandemic standards, with the main exception that you couldn't serve yourself from the breakfast buffet. You pointed at something and a server put it on your plate. Making that comparison, this isn't because of COVID. It's that ratchet again. The U.S. chains are working hard to keep those early pandemic service standards so they can improve their profit margins. Though I tell you, with Hilton, there seems to be a little play in that ratchet. Rather than a hard, we're only servicing your room every three days, it's a softer, our housekeeping is now on request. So I guess I could request it every day. I mean, for me, it's not about fresh towels. It's about getting those little garbage cans empty. They don't hold too many empty 16-ounce craft beer cans. Now, on first look, you'd think that restaurants are doing a bit of their own shrinkflation by continuing their contactless service tactics, you know, using QR codes for menus and having people order and pay through apps like Toast instead of using waiters. Now, 
I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm a bit more comfortable with the technology than some folks, but I don't see this as reducing service. Instead, I see it as improving productivity through automation. And if you still want to order from somebody in real life, there are people still walking around. But for me, the stealth inflation that I've noticed at restaurants is the COVID add-on fees that first started showing up kind of post-lockdown 2020, 2 to 3% for extra cleaning or personal protective equipment. But now, again, they're not going away. They're sticking around. Now, I'm not arguing that these aren't real expenses, but so are, I don't know, say, janitorial services and property taxes. But look, they're not showing up as additional fees on my bill. I mean, take the cleaning and the PPE. And by the way, given the CDC's latest ruling, how much additional PPE do you need? But anyhow, if you need it, roll it into the price of your burger, just like you do every other business cost. It's kind of like they're trying to run the same play the airlines did back in 2008 with baggage fees. American Airlines was the first of the big carriers to do it, charging 15 bucks a bag, saying that they needed it to cover the high cost of jet fuel. And that was when oil hit 145 bucks a barrel that summer. But, you know, three to four months later, when oil prices dropped, when oil prices were half of that number, funny, but the baggage fee stayed. And it's even increased. Americans' fee is now more than doubled at $15. Again, it's that ratchet. The excuse goes away, but the fee doesn't, which means it's really just a price increase. It's really just more inflation. Okay, that's it. That's the In the Travel Commons podcast number 184. A bit shorter than usual, but I've got to hop my flight to New York, stroll through the new LaGuardia Terminal, maybe check out the new Amex Centurion Lounge. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed this shorter show. I hope you decide to stay subscribed. You can find us and listen to us on all the main podcast sites. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can always ask Alexa, Siri, Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers. Check out the show notes on TravelCommons.com for transcript and links that I've mentioned in this show. You can also click on the link in the episode description in your podcast app. And if you got a couple of minutes, how about leaving us a review on one of those sites? Word of mouth, it's always a great way to help grow the podcast. If you're not subscribed, hit the website at travelcommons.com. There are subscribe links, menus all over the place. And at the bottom of each page on the website, you'll find links to the Travel Commons socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And hey, if you've got a story, thought, comment, gripe, the voice of the traveler, send them along. Text or audio file to comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com com and Peacock on Twitter, the Travel Commons Facebook page or Instagram, or post them on the website at travelcommons.com. Thanks to everyone who takes the time to send in emails, tweets, post comments on the website. I really do appreciate it. And hey, until we talk again, when I get back from uh, Brooklyn, doing my, uh, doing my uh, bit of a hipster thing, even though I don't quite have the facial hair to pull it off, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll talk again. And until then, travel safe. Thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now.